Hi, I'm K.S. Garner, and you're listening to the Solo Nerd Podcast. Today, I'll be speaking with writer, creator, and fellow podcaster, Barney Smith, here to promote the second installment of his dad joke series, Dadder Jokes, now live on Kickstarter. Welcome, Barney. Hey, S. Garner, thank you for having me. And this is exciting, because before we went live, I was talking about how, it was about a year or so ago, you were on my show, yeah. and and because and now because we're talking about some of your work and now it's now now the shoes on the other foot or the uh is that is that the right is that the yeah, right the shoes on the foot yeah the shoes on, the, shoes foot. on the other foot or something like that. that type of thing yeah <laughs> something to do with shoes and tables i don't know something yeah some kind of household object it's uh it's some we're referred to it for this moment i guess <laughs> uh-huh. but um Thank you for, well, thank you for joining us, by the way. But outside of my introduction, who is Barney Smith in his own words? Okay, so um, so I'll I'll use English words. So I'm going to use other, the words that other people use. But um, that was a joke. Hello, <laughs> 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 oh, is this thing on? Okay. <laughs> no, it's really fun because I don't talk about myself on my podcast. So I really, I'm really excited to talk about myself and when being a guest. So, basically, a long story short, KS is that I'll, I'll give you the abbreviated version of of my life. So, I ended up, and uh, so I ended up. Um, I graduated from art school in 1998. My goal was to be a children's book illustrator. That was kind of like my dream to be a children's book illustrator. And so what I ended up doing is I did what any art school person, like anybody who graduates from art school does in 1998 in the height of the internet bubble. I mean, obviously I joined the Peace Corps. That's usually what any art student does in 1998. So I joined the Peace Corps. I was in I was in Niger in West Africa for about four years. Usually the run is about two years. You're supposed to do a Peace Corps. You're supposed to do Peace Corps for about two years. But I ended up, um, I ended up, um, I said, but after two years, you end up learning the local language. You ended up understanding the culture. And then my point was like, why would you leave after when you finally starting to get to understand what's going on? So I extended for two more years. So I was there for four years. And uh, and then after that, I went off and got uh, a graduate degree in international education and still had the bug of working overseas. So then I ended up working for international relief organizations, one of them being Doctors Without Borders for a lot of for a few years. So chronologically speaking, I was in Pakistan after the earthquake. I was in I was in um and then I was in Philippines um after doing typhoon relief work. And then I was in South Sudan uh during their independence. Then I was in Zimbabwe during that cholera outbreak. And and then I was in Uganda working at an HIV clinic. Uh, and then I was in Libya during the revolution. I was repairing ambulances and getting shot at. And then after that, the last place I was in, um, I was working in an urban maternity healthcare clinic in Lagos in Nigeria. Um, and that's where I met my wife there. So one of the things about I love, you know, it was like 90 day fiance, the whole thing about 90 day fiance is like, you know, it's just like, I always laugh at that because my wife and I dated for 30 days before we got married, because it's, it's the normal, it's the generic story, KS, everybody's heard it a million times about the slightly overweight Vermont cartoonist marries a Nigerian runway model. I mean, it's the same, it's a generic story. People have heard it a million times. Um, and Fast forward, we've been married now for 11 years. We've got three kids and 
And I always tell people is like, it's um, everybody's relationships are, are different and unique. And I would say that, um, that our relationship is, it's like that line from Who Framed Roger Rabbit, where it was like, why, you know, like, why are you with him? And she said, he, he makes me laugh. You know, beauty fades, KS, you know, uh, intelligence gets stagnant, but humor Humor is what keeps a relationship alive. And as long as I make her laugh, uh, because I married up, like, I mean, she, when you see us walking together, people know why I married her, but people look at her like, why did you, like, they look at her like, why did you, why did you marry him? Like it was, people are always confused when they see us walking together. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been, it's been a joy for the last 11 years. And, um, and that's in, in, in totality, like I said, we have three kids now. We got a nine-year-old, a seven-year-old, and a three-year-old, two girls and a boy. And all of that is in total is based off of really, I've, 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 I'm on, I'm publishing my fifth graphic novel right now. So um, the first four are kind of in response to the, the chronology that I just kind of gave where the, the first book I created, it was uh, about a 260 plus um, page graphic novel called Two Years, which was um, uh, was basically kind of a, a sci-fi memoir of a way of my work in the Peace Corps. Um, then it came out with a book called Relief, which was a sequel to Two Years, which was about my work um, working over working overseas and uh, relief work. Um, but I made it in a, like a science fiction setting. Um, and then it came out with a third graphic novel that was called Lion and Dove, which is about the intercultural um, the continuing, the continuing intercultural that saga of intercultural marriage, which has um, been completely divine, and and then of course with kids, I came out with uh, um, my book on dad jokes, which now I'm doing a sequel called Dadder Jokes, and obviously, you know, it's obvious, it's it's pretty clear to everyone if the if those with the. Uh, um, with the acumen of understanding languages, that obviously there's going to be a third book called Dadist Jokes. So mm -hmm. that's obviously going to happen. So that is basically KS is, you know, um, my life um, it, in, you know, within the last, you know, uh, 25 years is basically like, I, I just summed up my life in 25 years in like, uh, in like three minutes, KS. Mm -hmm. How did that happen? Look at that. See, yeah. <laughs> You're probably so used to just talking about it, right? I mean, yeah. no one else has ever asked about your life. Like, hey, what's your life been like? Yeah. See, I know. See, it's like it's, it's, it's pretty. It's yeah. It's pretty interesting. And like the the idea of like the, the the impetus of the the impetus of the dad joke book is that, you know, if we if we look back back and I, you know, take a journey with me, KS. We're going to go back three years to the year 2020. So as everybody recalls, 2020 was a, a pretty hard year. It was a pretty, it was a pretty hard year. We had, uh, we had issues with COVID-19. We had issues with, we we're going through an election period. Um, we had, we had, you know, the George Floyd murder. There was so much happening that just really made the world, um, in the United States, it was, um, it was, uh, it was a very, it was a difficult time for, it was a difficult time to be around and it was, it, it was difficult and, and, and emotions were, were high and it was so easy, 
um, you could accidentally get, get into a fight on the internet. At least nowadays, I give credit to the point of like social media in the sense that you actually had, um, now if you get somebody's like, says something, you can just like, ah, block, boop, block them, good. You know, and now like your social media, you, you can make your social media feed curated enough where you don't have to find, um, you don't have to like, see people that have opposing viewpoints with you anymore. It's, I mean, it's, it, it's pretty easy to start blocking, but back in 2020, if you saw something and you wanted to block it, you had to like, you had to right click on the image and hit block. And then, and it comes across did you talk to the person first? Did you do this? No, I just, I just don't want to see this. Like it was just, you could end up just getting in fights by accident. Like example, you could post a, a, a picture of a beautiful sunset and then someone, you could say, here's a beautiful sunset here. And then someone would respond who you're not even friends with because they just happened by just based off of your, your, your share settings that were by default would be someone and says, sunsets are caused by air pollution. If you like sunsets, you like air pollution. I'm like, no, that's not what I said. I just thought the colors were nice, <laughs> you know, or like you could post, well, what a beautiful puppy. Puppies come from puppy mills. If you don't support, if you don't support animal shelters and you're, you kill dogs. I'm like, no, that's not what I said at all. Like it was so easy to accidentally get in fights. It was so easy. So what I did, what I did KS is like on my own little corner of the internet, I decided to be very proactive and just get some humor and just get something together. Just made people, just made people smile. So every couple of weeks or so pre 2020, I would post like a dad joke or some, something witty that, but I said, you know what? No, I'm just going to do it. So all the low hanging fruits. So what I did was basically all the low hanging fruits that I was able to publish, um, you know, like, what do you call a hippie's wife? Mrs. Hippie, you know, it's, um, you know, you know, don't throw sodium chloride at people. That's assault. You know, it's like the, these are the ones that like, you know, it was an emotional wedding. Even the cake was in tears, you know, T E I R. So it's, these were the ones that were just, these, do you come up with these jokes or is it just like some, some that you hear and you just repeat? So it was some of them I, I curated, you know, like, uh, um, you know, what are two janitors who live together called roommates? Like, see, that's, so I, I was <laughs> feeling a bit paranoid. Just remember you are not alone. Uh, these are some, so, you know, it's, uh, what do you call an alligator with a vest on an investigator? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I hate autocorrect. It always makes me say things I did not Nintendo. Um, <laughs> so the, so what I did is, so what I, I really kind of grabbed those low hanging fruits, the ones that were just kind of easy. You saw floating around, you know, on the internet, pretty easy. And fast forward, I've been doing this now KS for almost four years and every single day I post something new. So I've been able to keep those curated in. And, and so, so one of the things that somebody asked me back in 2021 or early 2022, they said, you should, it's be nice if you actually had these all in one place. I'm like, well, I mean, you can just scroll through my Facebook feed, but it's, it's public, but nobody knows how to find that really, unless you actually are looking for it. So, so I decided to, as a cartoonist, and as I said, previously publishing books before in the past, I know how to do it. So I was able to create dad jokes. You can get dad jokes in it. Like you can go to Amazon. You can go to, you can go to your bookstore. Case, you can walk down your bookstore right now and find a joke section. And there's probably some books called dad jokes. The thing about my book that's different is a couple, there's, there's four things that make this book different. Number one is it's the only one I've ever noticed is actually fully colored. It's every page is fully colored. The second thing about this book is I have 
I have an, as I say, I got three, I think I got three kids, uh, nine year old and seven year old are, are, are my daughters. And we have a, we have a rule in this house. There's no such thing as gender specific chores. Every chore is for anybody to do. So for instance, I do the laundry. So I always, every page has something that somebody's dad could be doing. So like I have, you know, a lot mowing a lawn. I got laundry cause I do laundry in the house. Uh, you know, you got fishing, you got a football, like there's all these kind of things. Um, I do the dishes. So you got the dishwasher, he dishes and I got corn. Like I'm sure some people have dads that are farmers. Um, you know, there's a broom I, I, we clean and then there's campfire in case people want to go camping. So there's always, every page has something that is, um, something that it, somebody's dad could be doing. The mm -hmm. other thing about this book is you go to, if you buy any joke book, anything that say, and this is, this is, this is the guarantee that I can give with my books, this one, and also the sequel book, Dadder Jokes, is that invariably and I've, every joke book that i've actually stumbled upon or looked at will end up having some joke that might be a misogynistic or a bit racist or something in there that would actually like um make fun of somebody's intellectual capacity might make fun of somebody's disability might might make fun of uh, an entire um uh cultural group so and i'm that my book here is 100 safe there's nothing in there that's actually um, offensive. There's nothing in there that actually um, uh, demeans or degrades anybody on there. Because when it comes down to telling jokes, humor should be the unifying factor to bring all of everybody together. And it should not be at the expense of making somebody feel as though they're an other by making fun of somebody else. So because that's, honestly, that's not humor, that's just being a bully. So mm. I, I see that in my book itself is that my, my, uh, uh, as I say, my six-year-old, she brings, she has the book, she has the book in her backpack. She takes it to first grade completely fine. Um, there's nothing in there. The teacher's like my brother who works at a stone quarry. So he's hanging out with a bunch of men's men, you know, that, that, you know, eat lunch out of lunch boxes and sit on the side of a wall and, you know, you know, drink their coffee from a thermos and they sit there and, and wearing hard hats and, you know, they said, yeah, break out that, that book your brother made, you know, and they'll read, he'll, he'll toss off some jokes and they'll laugh and they'll think it's funny. My mother, KS, is a minister and she has this book at church. So, you know, if you ever get cold, they're staying in a corner for a bit. They're usually 90 degrees. So these are all, these are all the jokes that are on there. Um, you know, for her birthday, I bought my wife new beads for her abacus. It's the little things that count. It's like these are all some things that are are completely um, completely safe and, and fun. Um, it doesn't mean my mother gets all the jokes. There's some Star Wars jokes in there that just she does not get. But mm -hmm. it's the point of it being is that the jokes in there are completely safe. So that's the second thing that makes this book. And the other thing too, KS, is that when you buy something for somebody as a gift, you are doing two things. One, you're either making a reflection of what you think that's important that the 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 giftee will like or the other thing it reflects the giver thinking this is a value to me that i want to impart upon you so those are the two types of gifts that you that that the reflection on that when it comes to giving a gift on joke books um again another thing like if you buy there there's a joke book made by like npr national public radio here in the united states we have a, a radio station called national public radio which is um, you know, it's a, a sub government subsidized 
uh, read that's supposed to be, you know, educational stuff. If you go look at there's NPR joke books, there's sections in that just make fun of the other political parties. So even in a book that you would presume would be like it all, it already is. There's a section that likes to make fun of somebody else. So when you buy a joke book, for instance, if you're looking at buying a joke book for somebody, you are you are imparting what you find, what you feel yourself is humorous or what you feel the other person is humorous. And if there's a joke in there that is uh, that basically demeans somebody else, you are in a way either telling that person, you will find this funny, or in a way you're telling that person, I find this funny. So that's why I'm really comp. That's what I really love about my book is that there is nothing in here that could be construed as anything because as I say, I got kids and I got, you know, I got parents and I got friends um, that I want to make sure that are going to truly enjoy, you know, any, anything in this book. The, the third thing about this book that's different is there is, um, I love old time radio KS, like all the radio, like uh, things from like the Charlie McCarthy or Jack Benny or, you know, George Burns and Gracie Allen, you know, some of the, some of the older stuff, Groucho Marx, some of those jokes just disappeared. Uh, that's why I love listening to old time. I'll hear a joke on there. I'm like, that is hilarious. I'm not, I, that, that joke hasn't been heard in 80 years. I'll listen to it. I'll write it down because it's on, it's on radio. I'll write it down and try to remember how it was written. Then I'll tweak it a bit for more of a modern, modern audience. I'll give you an example. The Charlie McCarthy joke, I tweaked it to actually be reflective of a good dad joke. And it was, and this is how I wrote it. I told my wife when I was in my 20s, I was unbelievably handsome. She responded, you're right. I don't believe it. So that joke that I brought, so that I, I kind of like brushed it off and kind of like retweaked it a bit. The other cool thing about this, so that the fourth thing about this book is that about 5% of the jokes in here, as you mentioned, kind of like talked about earlier, about 5% of them I actually kind of invented on my own. I kind of like invented. And it's really cool when I see those out, out in the wild and then see them come back to me. I, I think that's amazing. I'll give you one, one joke example that, I, that, that, I, that was based off of a real life event. Um, it was early 2020. It was late 2019. And I was bringing my daughter to school and I live in Vermont. So it's a rural, it's a rural state and it's rural enough that you see deer a lot, but it's rare enough to see a deer that you would actually kind of comment on like, Hey, that was, I just saw a deer. Um, so as I was dropping off my daughter to school, we saw a deer hop across the road and I came back home and I told my wife, I said, you know what? I, I saw a deer on the way to school today. And she looked at me and she said, how do you know it was going to school? And I stopped and I go, that, that's really funny. <laughs> so I, I tweaked it a bit and you can actually find that joke now in the wild. And I'm proud to say that I actually invented that joke and you can find it now. It shows, you'll find it once in a while popping up. I'm like, that's so, like, it's my gift to the internet. I gave them like, and there's a few of those that not all of them land. Like I just saw like a, like a, like a farm stand and it said like carrots beet peas. And I said, well, those are some pretty mean carrots that <laughs> it was beets as in B E T, but it was, um, it, you know, some of those jokes are just, they, they, you throw them out there, they might not land, but that deer one. And it's funny because that one's almost, 
it's almost an homage to the Groucho Marx joke of Groucho Marx says, you know, it said, uh, you know, this morning I shot, you know, this morning I shot an elephant in my pajamas. How I get in my pajamas, I'll never know. Like it was, so that idea about the the deer on the way to school almost is, it's kind of like an homage to that as I, um, you know, as you, as I look at it. But mm -hmm. those are the kind of four things specifically that I'm pretty proud of about this book that makes it different and unique compared to other um, to other books as well so yeah, yeah and I, I was looking at the the kickstarter of all the images on there and there was something about the images that I liked that I couldn't really put my my finger on it but then when you just showed me the book like the actual physical book itself I, I'm assuming you learned this as an illustrator a children's illustrator that you studied to be um, but not only the images in the corner, that's like, it's not too distracting, but it still catches your eye, but also that the pages are colored. So for me as a writer writing on my computer, I mm. changed the page color to be like a light green because the brightness from the white, like burnt, like burns my eyes. Right. Right. So yeah. having them colored like that actually makes it easier for me to read. I don't know if it's, like I said, I don't know if it's something you learned as a children's illustrator but as an adult, this is easier for me to read the pages. Right. Yeah. No, and that's a good point because what I wanted to do is just really, there is something about if you're, if you decide, you know, and I, I decided, you know what, I want to make this a color book. Once you decide you're going to have like a colored frame, you know, color around the frame, then there's nothing stopping you. It's not going to be more expensive. It was when I first made my first graphic novel back in 2013, 10 years ago, it was prohibitively expensive to publish your own, your own book in color. And now it's really not that more expensive to do a book in color than it is to have it in black and white. Uh, and so with that said, it made no, it made zero, it made zero sense to not do it all in color and like you said when it's that white on there that white background on there um it does it takes away from the background images in a way because with the fact that with the fact that that as we say like the images themselves are are um have that color background it actually makes the words become a part of the picture instead of separate of the picture in a way too yeah there is oh go ahead no but you go you go, go ahead okay um the <laughs> uh so and the, the other thing too and i'm really excited about this picture so so for all your for all the listeners out there that are are, are huge fans of the solo nerd podcast solo nerd bird podcast that um if you're listening to this now um be very that the kickstarter is funded so we're already so the book's coming out so don't even worry about that um but i'm really excited about the fact that we're getting some stretch goals that are we're we're, we're touching on and the first one is if we get to a thousand dollars um and the goal like i said my, my my goal wasn't that high because i didn't have to pay artists i didn't have to pay because i you know i guess so it's like that's usually with a big the big chunk of it is like to pay off your artists um is I'm gonna add another. I'm gonna add another 25 pages of jokes if we're able to get that first first Kickstarter, uh, first uh, goal. The second goal is the. Um, I was. It's gonna be a a, a deluxe, deluxe um, 
Kickstarter on it, meaning a deluxe doubter jokes. And what that's going to entail is that one of the things I love, as I say, I got, you know, like, you know, I'm, I'm one of those people that always goes to college and, you know, like, so I, I'm sitting on like a couple, couple degrees, you know, three degrees already. And, and one of the things about it is that I, I, I love the idea of, of just doing the research on like the history of the dad joke. So um, if we get to 1500, um, there's something that's going to be the, a deluxe dadder jokes book. And so what I'm doing on that KS is like, just doing the research on the history of the dad joke and what it means. And I, and I, and I, the, the, the more I've done the research and the more I'm, I'm, this is my working theory is that if you think that the term dad joke actually was first coined was first said um, in publication in, in, uh, and it was in the Gettysburg Gazette or something along those lines. And it was back in 1987 and it was an op-ed piece that said, um, you know, give credit to the dad joke or something around those lines. And that was the first time it was actually utilized. And if you look at it from like a cultural reference, like the the, the cultural history of the dad joke, mid, like mid to early 1980s and then the 70s and the 60s, all that stuff, everything to do with either movies, TV shows, anything to do with anything that the role of the father figure was someone who was stern and wise. It was, you listen to, like I said, all these old time radio programs talk about, you know, ask your father what coffee he likes because a happy father is a happy home. Like all these really, you know, just really patriarchal, you know, nonsense. It wasn't until around the mid to late eighties where there started to be cracks in it, where you were starting to see the, um, the earlier generations of Gen Xers were getting into their 20s at that point into the, the because uh, basically say 66 is the early times of where Gen X faded it from the baby boomers faded into the Gen X gener the Gen, Gen X generation. So fast forward that by the by the time they're in, in their first starting to get 20s, that was in 86, 87. So I, I truly don't believe there's any coincidence on that because you're thinking you're looking at the third generation past the past the greatest generation, which was the World War II generation, gave birth to the baby boomers. And then the baby boomers gave birth to the Gen Xers. And so what happened was is that the baby boomers still had this cultural ideology that this is what a father's supposed to be. This is what a nuclear family is supposed to look like. And my father, it wasn't until um we learned later that he owned a train set, but he never brought it out. He was almost ashamed of the fact he kept his train set. Um, and it wasn't until you're starting to see these earlier, um, these later baby boomers to earlier Gen Xers where you're starting to see them to be kind of a, like, they're not overly ashamed of collecting matchbox cars. Um, I know a friend of mine who's 62, who actually is, um, you know, say, oh yeah, I collect matchbox cars. But he wasn't bragging about it when he was younger, but it's the point where he feels a little bit more comfortable about it because we've kind of had the societal societal aspect where back in 87, 80, 87, 88, think about what was on in the television shows. Pre-87, it was it was you had uh you had shows where the the like the John Hughes movies, the dad never had a personality. The dad was just the dad that Thanks, honey. He drinks his coffee, grabs his briefcase, and runs out to work. You know, like there was never any like 
like central figure of a dad being funny or if he was funny he was he was like eccentric he wasn't like goofy for the mm -hmm. sake for his kids so it kind of started with the cosby show with, with with bill cosby as um you know um uh, cliff huxtable and then away danny tanner a bit with full house where you he where danny tanner wasn't goofy for the sake of being goofy he loved being he loved to have things clean but people laughed at him not laughed with him he didn't he wasn't goofy to his kids that's where you could have joey and jesse uncle jesse do that as mm -hmm. Um, as, as part of that and and still like with the Cosby show you still had the role of the father he started to be a little goofy but he was still always the one that imparted wisdom near you know there that and you start to see some of those roles started to to blend a bit with the mother figure of it it wasn't until you really started hitting home with also family matters at the beginning beginning the father was the father but towards season seven and eight he was you know, it's uh, the writers let him gave him permission to be goofy. And then you saw full on you saw home improvement where, all right, the dad's goofy, the dad is goofy. Now, as soon as that happened, if you start noticing as soon as that happened, it gave permission to start first, it made a little cracks, and then it blew open the idea of what, what a nuclear family should be. Like it blew open the idea of the father has to always be serious. It gave permission for the father to not have to be serious anymore. And it gave us that permission. And I, and this is my working theory, KS. As soon as that started happening, when I was a kid, I saw guys in their forties go in a comic book shop and I was 13. They got their comic books. They put them in a paper bag. Like it was something bad, like a brown paper bag. They didn't want to be seen holding comic books, but now there's something about the ideas. Like it's okay to disrupt the idea of, of doing things that make that, um, doing things that are actually you know okay with the fact now you're starting to see you know people being proud you know, people are proud playing dungeons and dragons people are proud to read comic books people are proud okay to this play, play video games is because i really feel that kind of started with the idea of the cracks of starting to to disrupt the idea of what the nuclear family is and allowing the dad to have a personality Dads were not allowed to have a personality in the early 80s and in the 70s. So you did not have a person. You're supposed to be serious. And once you're able to actually do that, and and I love this as a, as a father myself, is that I love the idea of like the gift that I can give to my children now is the idea that it's okay to laugh at yourself. It's, the old, it's, it's okay to bring humor to the world. It's okay to make mistakes. It's all. It's all. It's okay to be embarrassed. It's okay to um, to be vulnerable in a way. When you actually create humor and stuff, there is a level of vulnerability. Then you're doing that and being able to really to now in 2023, the idea of the generic dad just doesn't exist anymore. It really just doesn't exist anymore. It's like you can't find that stereotypical dad anymore. And that's why I believe when you look at where we are culturally now. If you look at the trunk of it, where how it all started, where where uh, the idea of even what a, a blended family, what a family is, and what a family should look like, I really see that that it started with the fact that dads were able to be goofy in the late '80s and then early '90s, and a, and it's and it started from there because then then you were allowed to say there's no such thing as a generic father or a generic mother or a generic aunt or a generic uncle. There's no such thing as that anymore. But 
the the foundation to what people thought was um, the uh, you know the the structure of a home was a father busted that open because there's no way I could ever act like a dad from the early eighties or the stuff. That's just not me. And, and, and a lot of that has to deal with the fact that um, as generations progress, as, as, as cultural expectations progress that, yeah, it's just a thing, chaos. I really, and this is the, I really believe there is, there's something to be said about the heritage and the birth of, of calling those those one-liners and those puns because here's the thing too there's a little bit of semblance of the idea of having the wise father figure the way by doing the dad jokes because there is an expectation of wit and play on words that you're not going to find that that seem to kind of carry that over with that idea of of the observational wit that isn't about hey come down sit next to me junior i saw that you have a black eye what happened oh yeah like it's this idea of like you can tell a story and you can kind of tell you something with that, with some of those witty one-liners that are, that, um, that are in, in essence, what we, we would consider dad jokes now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's just shift a little bit to your collaborators, just so, you know, we can give them credit. So yep. how was the process of collaborating with the uh, other creators on this series in even from the first one to this one now, and how did you know they were the right people to work with? It's a good question. So um, as we mentioned at the top of the show, like I have my own podcast and I am on, uh, I, I just put in the can episode 300. So I'm pretty excited about that. And the, yeah. And uh, um, and so what I did is that I looked at the the style of what I did. And so everybody talks about, so everybody, you know, like the good news is, is that, uh, the good news is, is that what I was able to do is have folks that um, that have similar art styles or something I know that could fit in that. So I reached out to three of my previous guests that um, that uh, that that I, I've always kind of uh, appreciated their artwork. Uh, the first one is um, Brian Ballinger, and he is uh, he's a published uh, children's book author, and he does a lot of he's a muralist as well. He's been on national news with some of the murals he's painted on sides of sides of uh, uh, parking lots and in libraries and stuff like that. And he's also has a he also has a literary agent that helps him with his the books that he children's books that he comes out. So I asked him if he wanted to do a cover for me because as Kickstarters go, it's always good to have exclusive covers. It's always good to have exclusive covers. So you got to have something like that. Um, the second person was uh, Dirk Stanley, who is a prolific um, artist and also role playing game designer. He's made over. 30 role-playing games that he's actually designed and illustrated himself full color. Uh, it's called Faraway Land is the world that he created, which is a, for anybody out there that's listening that loves role-playing games, go to, um, go to roll the art, you know, uh, drive through RPG and check out Dirk Stanley's work. He's, um, and check out Faraway Land. It is, uh, it's a great world he created. It's so fun. And then I have Mark Gagne, who is also uh, a, a children's book author and creator who also has a literary agent. And he also has done artwork for um, Kevin Smith's comic books. So he's 
um, done stuff for like Image and uh, and Dark Horse, and and so and he also is great. And his artwork is very much graphic design focused. So if you look at his his covers, look like the covers you would expect for dad and dadder jokes that you would find in a bookstore. Like his stuff looks like. Um, it looks like like bookstore quality. Um, like Dirk Stanley and 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 Brian Ballinger um, did a version of my cover, which was really fun to watch that. Um, and so I had them come in. So that's something too is I actually have the exclusive. Um, I also and so it was really fun. So I reached out to them and say, Hey, can you? Are you willing to help me out? Do you want to do that? And they're like, Of course. So of course, you know, as an artist, you pay your artists. So I made sure I paid them up front. So um, and so they're all they're all paid and they're and I love the work. So that's what I'll also do too with like we do the Dadder joke uh, uh, deluxe book. I'll probably add in those covers to it as a um, you know as part of the the thicker book of it too. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, what is some advice that you will offer to other creators? You wish someone would have told you when you first started. So it can be back when you were in school and then trying to find a job working what you studied for it can be you know still trying to maintain that creative passion while working with the peace corps it can be or um just like when you started doing your own graphic novels and then working on other projects whatever it may be just like you wish someone would have told you when you first started so there's there's so two pieces of advice that I was told that I because this is a good question chaos and I like and I and I and I and I like to hear what guests say so I'm going to recycle two things that some two of my guests said that I actually love what they did the first one is one person who has uh, kind of like an adult ADD situation where she just easily gets distracted so what she noticed that what she would do is that she would set um, also three pieces of advice the first one um, and it's you it's uh, the two of them are for writers and one is for artists so the first one for just the two for writers is if you get easily distracted this is what she does she sets a timer for an odd number to work on because she said if she sets a timer for 15 minutes or 20 minutes her mind gets distracted by thinking do i have 10 minutes left or am i halfway through so she's always thinking about how much time instead of actually getting distracted what she's doing and she's writing so she'll set a timer for 37 minutes she can't so she so that's out of place out of mind she doesn't even have to worry about thinking about how much time she has left because now she's not distracted by dividing the time she split up in half Mm-hmm. Or she's dividing it by, so she, cause she sets the timer for, for an odd number. And I, that's a great, and I started doing that. That's a great idea. I love that. The other idea for a writer that I, that, which is really good is uh, one writer suggest said that um, stop writing when you know what's going to happen next. Never stop writing when you don't know what's happening next. Sit down and keep writing until you know what's going to happen. Then if, when you know what's going to happen next, Take a break for the day because it's easier for you to jump back into it the next day because you know what's happening next. Mm-hmm. So that was a great piece of advice is never, ever stop writing when you have writer's block or when you, because that's how writer's block kind of happens. It's like, I don't know what's going to happen next. So when you're in it, when you're writing and you know what's happening next, you're ready to know what's going to ha- happen for the next chapter, start writing the next chapter, write the first few sentences and you know what's happening, then stop. Never stop when you don't know what's happening next because that's hard to get going again. Um, and the piece of advice that I heard from an artist friend that actually works at the Charles Schultz Museum 
who does a lot of graphic design and art for his day job. And I asked him, I said, how do you have time? Because usually if you do a job that's creative, if you're in the creative field, if you're, if you're an artist or writer and you're working in the creative field, whether you're, you're doing something that involves that creativity, um, then never work, never expect to come home at the end of the day and have your own you time to start working. So what he said is that they own my creativity for eight hours a day, that's it. And I give them my dregs. I don't give them my good stuff. When I wake up in the morning, that's when I create. In the morning before I go to work is when I do all my all, all my stuff because uh-huh. I'm fresh. I'm fresh and I'm ready to do it. And that's when I'm starting to type or draw or any of that kind of stuff that he's doing. That he's doing. He does it in the morning before he goes to work. And I thought that's a great piece of advice. Is that? And if people say, "Well, I'm not a morning person," you know. But if you work in the morning, wake up earlier because you know what? Every single person I've ever met never has full of energy when they come back from eight hours of work. I've never met somebody, I'm all energetic. I just work for eight hours. I'm ready to go for another four. Like no one, I've never ever met somebody who's that. So that was another great piece of advice that uh, that I, I, I felt was, was, was pretty valuable. So those chaos would be probably my three pieces of advice I would recommend is um, if you get easily distracted, always set a timer for an odd number. The second thing is only stop writing when you know what's happening next. Uh, and the third piece is if you're working in the creative arts, then the morning belongs to you. Do not, it is not, it is not fair that you give your creativity over to a, to a, to a grind that um, doesn't pay you enough. So you, that creativity belongs to you and you need to use that and use that first because it doesn't exist after the, at the end of the day. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, this, this is all really great advice. I've never heard of that before. Like 37 minutes is really odd. I love to say like seven yeah. minutes or something. Like 37 minutes is really odd. But then when you think about it, when I set timers for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, two hours, I'm already dividing up right. my time. Yeah. you know, in, in, within that time limit. And then, so yeah, that does make sense. And then, yeah. um, the writing, I never thought about doing that because like you said, with the writer's block, you know, what's going to happen and you stop when you don't know what's going to happen. Right. And that's when you get writer's block. And so I never thought about that. And then yeah. it, it makes sense to do what you want to do first thing in the morning, because, it, I mean, it is when you're fresh. I mean, a lot of our, our, our ideas or when we're like brushing our teeth in the morning or taking a shower right. in the morning or whatever it may be, or even like going to work in traffic and sitting in a car, we'll start having ideas, you know? So, you know, if you can wake up and go to the gym first thing in the morning, you can jot some stuff down for like 30 minutes really quickly right. before you go to work, right? And because right. it's like, I remember when I wrote my my first book, I would work eight hours and then I would like force myself to do another six to finish the, the finish the book. And it's just like, maybe if I did wake up earlier and maybe do like, you know, 30 minutes before I went to work, it would have been a lot easier for me. Possibly. Right. I'm not really sure, but yeah, that is some really great advice stuff I've never really heard of before. Yeah. I love those. I love those pieces. Yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. But, um, 
outside of working on dadder jokes or whatever projects or podcasts people you may be interviewing how well do you find balance for your life and how do you typically manage your mental well-being when you become stressed frustrated or overwhelmed so the piece of it is is not to get to that point because there's this thing that and I felt this, uh, as I mentioned, I mentioned earlier in the show, is that I worked for Peace Corps and Doctors Without Borders. And I remember when I was in the Philippines, I was sitting in, the, in traffic, um, and all of a sudden, I just felt really dizzy. And I just had tunnel vision. And it wasn't until I realized later, I was actually suffering from an anxiety attack. And it came from the idea of, and I learned this term from uh, Doctors Without Borders, it's called accumulated stress disorder. It is, it's not PTSD where some tragic event happens and it's, it's, and you see accumulated stress disorder a lot in nurses and in teachers. And what that is, is accumulated stress disorders, little pieces of things that are just going to pick at you for months on end or for years to the point where you actually end up having an anxiety attack and, or you get burnt out. And that's what burnout is, is basically accumulated stress disorder. So you either have that fight or flight mentality. So the fight is the anxiety attack. The flight is just bringing yourself away from things. And that's where you see that a lot in nurses and doctors. And, and I, and so from then on, and I took, I took like three months off. I'm like, I need to, and I, cause I, um, I, I just wasn't in the right headspace. And a lot of it was when you're working in, when you're working in, um, when you're working in emergency relief work, there's no break. You don't have the weekends because first of all, you're living out of two suit, you're living out of a suitcase into a completely different country that doesn't speak the same language as you. And you're there to fix a problem seven days a week and then you take two weeks off and then fly to a different country and do the same thing for three months so it was and i didn't realize because i was in my 20s i was just full of you know just full of a you know um adrenaline and i loved it but once that and i noticed every six months or so when i finished a mission and i was flying back i always got sick always got really sick and what it is is like it, you're coming off of that high of adrenaline for six months and then you're just completely vulnerable to germs and things and i got wicked sick all the time after every six months and so based off you know based off of that is like so one of the things that i learned is that it was when I was when I was working overseas. Um, they said, "All right, every three months you you have to take a vacation. You have to take every three months. You have to take a week off. They make you fly away and go to another place." And I remember thinking to myself, "I'm fine. I feel fine. like I just it good. I keep going because here's the thing. I compared myself to my father." who never took a vacation for 20 years. I'm like, I don't need to take a vacation. My father never took a vacation. Then I realized that um, working for the town, you know, working on the roads for the, for the town that you live in, where you get to go home at the end of the day and see all your familiar things, you have a much, much more stronger anchor to be able to be a, uh, yeah, uh, to be able to ground yourself when you're in your own town than it is that you fly to a different country 
every few weeks or every few months and just help and you see death and destruction wherever you go because that's what you do is bring is 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 bring you know bring the infrastructure back to where it was before and then leave again so you know fix the wells or or fix this or do that and then leave and so it was an unfair comparison to expect that the psychological impact of doing overseas emergency relief work is the same thing as fixing potholes in your hometown so so that was that one thing that i noticed yeah i and so that's when i really you know noticed that i needed to you have to take time for yourself you have to it's the same thing with the old analogy is like you know uh if there's if there's plane troubles you put the mask on yourself first before you put it on your child it's like take care of yourself first before you can take care of other people um so working relief work and then also working in um, for the past eight years as well, eight to 10 years has been where I have um, my previous careers I was working in. Um, uh, I was doing advoc advocacy work, community advocacy work for people living with intellectual disabilities. So I did that for 10 years. And so, um, and, you know, in my position in, in leadership there, I was very clear that you need to take care of yourself before you can take care of other people. And so the idea of, and this is a lot to say to the fact that you see all the time, the two where they mentioned earlier, the two things you see a lot of accumulated stress disorder is teachers and nurses. And what is the common term that we call teachers and nurses? We call them heroes. We call them angels. We call them these things. And the reason why we call them, because it gives us, it gives, it gives us societal permission to pay them less and work them harder because we do not value their time and we do not value their finances. So let's just call them heroes. You know what? No, you know what you need to do? You need to allow nurses and teachers to take vacations. You need to support them and you need to pay them enough money to make them survive. And that's what it comes down to as well. So to answer your question, you love how I just go off on these like tangents, KS? No, go for so, it. <laughs> <laughs> so what it is, is so, so basically because of that is... I made it very clear to myself is that I've in, in, in KS, you know, we, we, we live in the same podcasting world and, you know, we've been doing it long enough to know that we've seen some hosts, some podcast shows, the shows show up, then disappear six months later. And what happens is, is that somebody feels as though they're in a race and not a marathon where they will do five or six shows a week. And I say, don't do that. No, you don't. You're going to burn out. And that's what it comes down to. It's like, so I'm very clear that I'll do, I'll do at most two shows a week and I've concentrated them all in one day a week and then I'll just record them all one day a week. And then I will edit them as it goes and then making sure that they're ready to go. But it's, and it's also to make sure that you continue to do what you love. And if you love pizza, but you eat pizza for breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day, you're not going to want pizza after doing that for a week, you're going to, you're never going to want to see pizza again. So if you love doing podcasting, if you love doing art, and if you love writing, then you got to ask yourself is like, you have to either be a pro-am at it or make it a hobby. So it's, you know, so it's, or you, or if you're, if you jump into it and know that you want to actually do this as a living, um, it's writing is the equivalent of wanting to, it's like, it would be the equivalent of, of saying, I want to be a basketball star. Great. 
Um, there is very few people who can make a living playing basketball. Um, there is, if you want to be a, make a living of being an author or a, an artist or any of that stuff, then you got to realize that a big chunk of your work is going to be writing for somebody else or doing art for somebody else. Um, if you want to do your own stuff, then that's what I said earlier, that, that idea is that then you do your stuff in the morning when you're actually at your height. And then you can then write print copy or be a journalist or be a graphic designer for a day job because you can get paid to write. You can get paid to do art. But if you want to make your own art or write your own books, do that in the morning. Don't, do not, do you do not, they pay you. It is a contractual basis where they pay you money for you to do the work for them and make sure your best work is the stuff that you're doing for yourself. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's why it kind of makes sense for me. I always feel better to do my stuff in the, in the morning, like I said before. So, yeah. But um, is there anything else that you wanted to touch on about the data jokes Kickstarter that we may have missed? Uh, maybe discuss rewards for potential backers. Cause you, I know you said, I mean, it's funded already. And then right. If we um you guys reach your stretch goals, you'll do more, add more pages and and whatnot. But like, what would they get as rewards? So I can tell. So so the for, for, so yes, thank you for that, Kaya. So first and foremost is like you always got to have like your PDF, you know, like your your ebook tier. So mm -hmm. that's the that's the first one is that you can you can get for five bucks, you can get you know over five hundred jokes. You can have that available right there. You can get then if you wanted to get the you I also have the PDF available for for ten dollars you can get the PDF version of Dad Jokes the first book and Dadder Jokes um, available as well and that's that's one thousand jokes for ten bucks like you can't I mean that's like a penny a joke you cannot you can't, there, there's no way you can beat that deal um, there's also plus being said that it's completely safe for anyone to read and plus there's some jokes in there that you're not going to find anywhere else. Uh, you can also get the physical copy. Um, you can also get the physical copy for $15 for the data jokes. This is going to be cheap. You can buy it online after the fact, but it'll be more expensive um, because it is a fully colored book and you can get it on, you can get it on Amazon or barnesandnoble.com. You can get it there, uh, but it will be more expensive. Um, so this is why I really want to make sure I can support the folks that are, that are there. And as I mentioned, there are some variant covers that are exclusive to the Kickstarter. You have the, uh, the as I say, the Brian Ballinger variant cover. You have the Mark Gagne variant cover. Uh, then for $30, you can get both books. You can get the dad and dadder jokes. And that's 200 and that's 260 plus pages of, of uh, full colored books. And, and plus, and this is the other beautiful thing about this KS, and you're, and then you'll be, your name will be in the credits too at the back of that or jokes for in that thank you tier. Um, I love also the add-ons, um, the add-on, uh, the add-on pages on there is the uh, ability to, um, where is the, oh, so your, your add-ons is that, as I mentioned too, is that you can get for, uh, for, for $2, I've made these beautiful, beautiful bookmarks. And so you can get the, you can get 16 PDF bookmarks 
that actually, if you look at them from a distance, you think they might be Bible verses because it's in cursive and there's like a tree behind it and stuff. And mm-hmm. these beautiful ones are the ones with cats. So people might think, oh, what's sweet. But but they're actually dad jokes in there that actually reminiscent of actual the the actual um, like what's in the background. So things about cats on there, there'll be a cat, like, you know, what do you call a pile of cats, a meowtant, um, uh-huh. um, you know, like there's some of those on there. There's um, and also too, what I did is like, I have also the, uh, the story comic, as I mentioned earlier, the, the three books, graphic novels that I produced earlier, I put in a bundle. So oh, for anybody that loves independent comics um, or, or just loves a good, who just loves, some pretty good um, non-superhero-ish slice of life kind of uh, graphic novels you can get for, f- I, you know, and the people are, people are mad at me for making it this, this cheap. CKS is like for $5, you can get over 630 pages of, of, of uh, graphic novels. Uh, and you can also get the PDF version of dad jokes, the earlier one. I also have on here, um, the as I say, then you can get for $8, you can get the physical bookmarks, 16 bookmarks as well, that I will actually be, you know, printed out in um, good bookmark stock. Uh, we also have the, um, so a couple variant covers as well. Uh, we also have the Story Comic Library Bundle, which is for all, so three physical books right here, I can, um, so for those that are so so that are listening, I am, I am I am showing to I am showing to KS, um, all three books. So for six hundred and thirty, six hundred and six hundred and thirty pages for fifteen bucks, you can get, um, all of these for fifteen bucks. They retail also. You could the, these that that sell online. Each one is about fifteen dollars each. So you're saving $30 if you wanted to buy all those. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And even the debt, you can get the whole series. You can get all of them. See um, the, and so that, those are some of the add-ons that I have on there. And I just, I did get yelled at earlier today for not putting in a retail bundle. So I'm going to add the retail, I'll put a retail bundle in for that as well. So um, the retailer bundle, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. But oh, yeah, nice. that's, uh, that's what I, that's uh that's some of the fun stuff that I was able to do. It's, but the, the beautiful thing of what we do, KS, is that we meet such great people in the, in the work we do of, of, of doing podcasts. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've been just so darn excited to see all the, the support on this. And as I mentioned too, we are funded. So the book is being made. The good news is, is that, you know, we get some of those, uh, if we, if we, if we push through, uh, for all you all you uh, KS Garner fans out there, um, make sure that you know. So you listen to this, you know, support the project. Plus, here's the thing, and this is the one guarantee. There's not a lot of guarantees in the world, but here's the guarantee: if you buy this and you get and you gift this to somebody, you will win gift giving. There is no way anybody is going to be upset that you bought them this joke book because it is full of wholesome goodness that also makes you like that was actually pretty good um so you know um you know like uh uh, what is it what's a good one here um that's some of these jokes you just can't you that you can read it that they're funny because it's the way you actually 
how it's written because it's a play on words but some of them you have to that's okay to like read it out loud like i used to crastinate but i decided to, but i got so good i went pro they procrastinate <laughs> yeah procrastinate <laughs> i went to the pain store to get thinner it didn't work um see <laughs> today is international waffle day i can't decide if i want to participate um so there you go see these see these are gems see ks these are gems right here right yeah, yeah. but yeah yeah so barney where can people find you online and do you have any other projects coming up or anything else that you wanted to plug in so i have my so you can find me at storycomic.com mm -hmm. really surprised that 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 domain name was never taken so because it was a play on graphic novel so i did story comic mm -hmm. uh and surprising that wasn't taken so storycomic.com i am on blue sky i am on threads i am on instagram i am uh, uh facebook and i have been having a you know a fantastic time um you know, just, you know, collecting, uh, uh, connecting with everybody. I am also, uh, so I am working on, as I say, once the Datter Jokes books, every day, KS, there's a new joke, there's a new joke that I either curate, come up with, or have, I have a list that I'm already, that I have in the, you know, in the can that I'm waiting every day, I have that a new one popping up. Um, uh, I, I do, as I say, I'm working on my the my episode 300 is coming out next week here's the cool thing chaos okay it's like um every 100 episodes i interview another barney smith on my podcast so i had um episode 100 so if you ever google the name barney smith there's always this one that shows up barney smith who actually had actually painted was an artist he did art on on top of toilet seats so he was a toilet seat artist. And oh, so wow. he actually has an entire, he died back in 2018 at like the, I think it was 96 years old. And he actually, before he died, he wanted to make sure that all 1400 toilet seats uh, paintings that he did um, are, went to a place. So somebody, um, somebody eventually ended up buying it uh, for him and actually creating it somewhere in Texas. Um, they actually created a huge museum with the pillars were actually made of toilet seats. So it's this huge museum that's dedicated just to all of his 1400 plus toilet seat art. So he, he, he passed away before we actually could get to episode 100, but I entered, but I had on my show episode 100, um, the curators of his museum was on. Then episode 200, I actually had a, uh, uh, a music, a, mu a musician journalist uh, from Australia named Barney Smith came mm -hmm. on the show and talked about some of his music and talked about some of his photography. And then that's going to be coming out next week or the week after I have another Barney Smith who KS is the, uh, he's got, he's like a, a world famous Grammy nominated musical musical conductor classic classical music musician conductor and art director um and he's the founder of what of an acapella group called vaches eight that's v-o-c-e-s eight and if you look up vaches eight on uh on spotify it has 
about 25,000 monthly listeners and over a quarter million downloads. And he is, uh, uh, it, it was one of those guys where I'm thinking he's, he's going to ignore this email. And then, and I said, Hey, I was like, hi, my name is Barney Smith and your name is Barney Smith. And I had a, I do a podcast and every hundred episodes I interview another Barney Smith. It's okay. If you say no, like, it was just like, I, I knew I'm like, there's no way this guy's going to say yes. And then like a day later, he's like, I'd love to be on your podcast. I'm like, that's so, that's so awesome. I'm like, oh, I, 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 of course you can come. Like I like I wanted no one to like I would try to make be cool about it. But yeah, it was so exciting. So I actually and I actually that's recorded. So I'm excited to share that episode 300 of uh interviewing another Barney Smith. Uh and it's yeah, so you know, that working on that and of course there's always I always have projects. I'm one of those people that actually has like three projects going on at once at the same time mm -hmm. that happen. And, and I really wanted to cut my teeth on doing a, my dadder joke books as uh through Kickstarter, because as soon as you jump in the water, it makes it easier to keep doing it. So, um, so I'm excited to start launching. Uh, you know, I got a few Kickstarter ideas that have been projects that I've been working on as of recent now too. Uh, some are in different levels of, of, uh, and, and here's the thing. The best thing about this KS is that Kickstarter has now evolved from being a place where you actually, um, try to raise more money to finish your project. It's now turned into a, uh, basically a, um, pre-order system. Mm -hmm. So, cause it's expected that if you, if I, if people give money to Kickstarters, there is an expectation that it, the work is done and then now the Kickstarter is funded and now in the, within the next month or so, you'll be able to, you know, get your product or so. Mm -hmm. But 10 years ago, five years ago, it was literally used to kickstart projects. That's exactly what the term is. But now you have a lot of these businesses that make a million a year, particularly game, like board game businesses now just use it as a pre-order. And that's kind of evolved into a lot of independent creators now too. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. All See, right. I told you it would be, I, I, I would, I would have things to say. See, I wanted to make sure that I, I, I try to keep up with you saying, yeah. Yeah. You have, you had a lot to say. It was, <laughs> 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 really, it was really it was a lot of it was very informative especially like you know with the the dad jokes the historical context of stuff you know like you if you want to look at if you really want to know the history of things you kind of had to look at the his like even the historical context of it especially through media i think that's the easiest way to to get right. it especially with shows that you mentioned like frozen home improvement you know you know all those all those shows um i was thinking more of like the uncles where you had the father who was more stern and wise but then you had the the uncle who was the more of the, the funnier one especially with right. like full house you know so right. yeah um and yeah it's like i said it was really informative i really i mean it has nothing to do with your work but i really thought it was interesting that you know you you met your wife and you married her after 30 days yeah <laughs> How do you meet somebody and make and murder with 30 days? You know, I need some help. You know, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I think what it is is that you, you, yeah, for me, I just had to get out of my way and just really kind of like look at it from from an art perspective. Like, 
what's my arc? What's my story arc on this? How, you know, and it's like, it's one of those things where like, if you know, you know, and that's really what it came down to is that like, it's, and, and, and it's really where some of the best decisions I ever made were the ones I made off like suddenly, mm-hmm. like, yeah, let's do it. Like it was one of those things where it's just like, if, if, if you get too distracted with your thoughts, instead of actually going with your gut, then you end up um, doing it. And that's the thing too. Like I would just, you know, so we've been married for 11 years now and, and it's still, sometimes I'll just ask her, it's like, what, you know, are you nuts? Why would you, you, you knew you didn't know me. Like, it's like, it's like one of those things. Just like, and like, you know, she's like, well, you didn't know me either. I'm like, yeah, I know. But I mean, it's, I mean, but I, I really tried to, you know, like, it's like, it's, I was really trying to impress her. And like, I was, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it was, uh, it is. Yeah. 30 days, 30 days. We dated for 30 days. And, uh, um, yeah, it's, and that's like what it comes down to KS, you know, when you know, you know, and, uh-huh. um, you know, it's just never, it's never, it's not all the idea of just never second guessing yourself, you know, it's like, you could easily second guess yourself. And it's like, uh, it's, it's the same thing. Of, it's like, if you've been, if you're dating somebody for the first 30 days, um, and unless you, there's something that's like, something's not right, or let me meet your parents, you know, like these things, like I made sure, and also, because I met in Nigeria, and I got grilled big time by her mom and her uncle and her cousins and her brother and all these. So it wasn't just like it was just her and I together going on dates. It was, it was, um, it it was a lot of questions and it was a lot of digging and it was a lot of you know you know, you're coming to church with us, that kind of stuff. And like, and then getting all the the ministers and all the, so it was, and that's the thing about when you marry a Nigerian, um, you marry the whole family. So here I am too, is like her mother lives with us, which I love because I knew that's the thing too, is I knew as soon as we got married, it was um, her mom was moving in with us because that's what, that's what happens. So um, yeah, you know, it's, it's amazing. You know what I, um, I, yeah, I kick myself every, you know, I pinch myself every day about just full of the gratitude. And that's the thing too, just making sure you're full of humor and gratitude just keeps Mm -hmm. it, keeps it fresh. But yeah, 30 days KS. See, look at that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, again, I want to thank uh, writer, creator, and fellow podcaster, Bernie Smith, for joining us here today to promote the second installment of his dad joke series, Dadder Jokes, now live on Kickstarter. All of Barney's socials and website will be listed in this episode's details alongside the Kickstarter link for those who are interested. Again, I'm KS Garner, and you've been listening to the Solo Nerdberg Podcast. Thank you. <laughs>